Okay, so thank you again, Archie, for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, I wanted to speak with you, as I mentioned, um, about your candidacy and how you're running to represent the Preston area in this upcoming election that's on the 17th. Um, my podcast that I'm interview- interviewing you for, it's um, called Let's Talk with Kara Downey. And I have what some would consider the top five issues that affect the black community. And I just wanted to speak with you about it so you could let me know what your action plan is to attack these issues um, upon being elected or if elected to represent the Preston area. Okay. Are we there? Uh, yeah. Okay, you're here. Okay. Um, so, the top five issues that some feel are the issues, besides a mountain of issues that affect the black community, one being miseducation and the misrepresentation of education, such as the water, down, water downing or what some people will call as the whitewashing of black history, African Nova Scotian history. The second is gentrification. Mm-hmm. The third is a lack of community wealth and access to funds. The fourth would be violence within the community, racial profiling, police brutality, racial bias, systematic racism. And then the fifth is mass incarceration. Okay. So I just wanted you to speak with you so that you could, um, again, um, one by one, from one to five, just talk a little bit how you would, upon being elected um, and representing the community of Preston, how would you attack those issues? Sure. So, you know, with the first one, uh, the miseducation um, and the, the lack of um, education and the down of an educational system that we do have, um, you know, for the past um, 27 years, 28, 29 years, um, that's where my career has been in education. Um, you know, first of all, working in um, the public school system as a regional educator with the Black Women's Advisory Committee uh, and seeing the issues that, um, um, you know, we have experienced, uh, that students experience in the school system, um, you know, and, and part of the work I did with the Black Women's Advisory Committee is working on uh, the research for the uh, the Black Report, which was a comprehensive five-year study of education of Black students across the province. And, you know, we, you know, come to the conclusion that there is a disparity with uh, education uh, when it comes to the African Nova Scotian learner. Um, a lot of issues uh, presented themselves and, um, you know, that report 25 years later um, is still relevant today. Um, so, you know, one of the things that the PC party um, has is an overhaul of the educational system to look at making it more inclusive, um, you know, and, and I, I, I totally believe that um, diversity and inclusion needs to be incorporated um, and interwoven in every um subject in every course in the school system so that students leave school um, with the knowledge of um, different cultures and different um, contributions that culture has made 
to uh, not only the province and the country, but has made globally. So I, I am a big proponent of education um, to ensure that, um, you know, we do get information out there about the community and that, you know, our lives didn't start as slavery. We were, um, you know, quite um, prominent before slavery uh, and quite prominent after slavery. So, you know, they tend to focus a lot on slavery, but, you know, we, 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 we derive from kings and queens. Um, and, you know, students don't know that. And I think that's, um, you know, things that we need to, to really look at. Um, you know, we look at the pyramids in, in Egypt and the Sphinx, and, you know, those are still um, uh, mysteries as to how they were able to build the pyramid. So I think, you know, that information needs to be out there, um, you know, looking at how we can, um, you know, better understand each other and uh, better provide that information to our youth. Okay. So just to ask you a second question regarding the first um, issue, um, miseducation and misrepresentation. Um, when we take a look at what's happening to our neighbors south of the border in the U.S., how they're making critical race theory the big boogeyman, when a lot of people who are against CRT don't can't even tell you what CRT is. They haven't read a journal. They haven't read an article. They haven't read anything by Crenshaw. They haven't read anything regarding critical race theory. Do you think here in Canada, do you think critical race theory should be adapted in schools K to 12 and in universities so that people understand true history, specifically when they're talking about black and indigenous history, where a lot of it is watered down and a lot of it is whitewashed? Do you think CRT should be something that should be adapted into legislation when like curriculum and everything is being like worked out and adapted into schools. I mean, you have to make sure that you do it so that for grades that are, let's say K to nine, because certain content can be graphic when talking about history and everything. But do you think that um, CRT is something that should be pushed as a basis in the school system going forward? I, I think so, and, and you know, I, I think it's important that we understand um, critical race theory and, and, you know, that we understand the different cultures and the different races and, and ethnic groups. Um, and, you know, critical race theory, I think, is, is an important part of that. So, um, yeah, I, I do agree, and I, I do think that we should, um, you know, look at embracing critical race theory. All right, perfect. Yes. And um, regarding the second, which is um, gentrification, which is the process, mm -hmm. more or less a process of renovating and improving housing, just with the issue that's happening within the community, specifically North Preston, with the issue of acquiring clear title to, to land that was promised to families, but hasn't been fulfilled. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think, how would you attack that particular issue? You know, I, I think the, the Liberal government has, you know, provided financial resources to um, ensuring that people get, you know, clear title to their land. Um, you know, the money is good, but I think what needs to happen is there needs to be, um, um, you know, they need to look at the, the policies and procedures around um, 
how people get clear title. You know, it, it, it's taken way too long for people to get clear title to their land, even through the um, land titles clarification uh, issue. So, you know, I think there, there needs to be more uh, work done around um, improving the, the process, improving the policies around that so that it doesn't take as long. And, and you know, so that people can get clear title to their, to their property. Um, you know, it's nothing, um, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to live on your property for, you know, 25, 30, 40 years and still don't have clear title. So I think it's, it's important that, um, you know, although the money is good, but there needs to be, um, you know, a look at the policies and procedures around how clear title is received on people's land. So that, to you know, is, is, is a big issue. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people who um, don't have clear title and are looking to get clear title. But I think, you know, the, the, the real issue is not throwing money at the problem. The issue, I think, right now is looking at the policies and procedures that are um, preventing people from getting clear title or, or the, the length of time that is taken for people to get the clear title. Okay, so you would, so rather than just saying here's like $5.5 million or $5.5 billion or whatever, just throwing out a figure there, but rather than just throwing out a dollar figure and saying we're going to appoint let's say 20 lawyers to the community of Preston to work with a certain block of families to get clear title money just doesn't solve it there has to be you have to work with the people look at the legality in regards to the laws that were in place and then try to circumvent so that rather than just saying oh look I gave the community 5.5 million or billion dollars and I set them up with 20 lawyers that could help them. Um, we did our part. It's got to be more than just saying that you did your part. That it, it actually has to come down to looking at the laws and how the laws are in place to more or less hinder communities of color when it comes to providing them with the true access and title that they are rightfully due. Most definitely. You know, it... Money is good, and I'm not going to say no, don't put the money there. Um, but, you know, we have to look at, um, you know, why is it taking so long? And what is the process that, um, that, that it takes to get clear title? And, you know, it, we, we need to look at all of those issues and, and to, to look to see how we can improve the system. And, you know, like I said, the money is good, but... You know, the money is not the only issue. And I think that, you know, we need to look at the policies and the procedures and, and look at, um, you know, how we can improve those policies and procedures to make it easier to get clear title. And, you know, once you do that and you have the money in place, then, you know, we'll be in a better position to, uh, to you know, help more people get clear title to their property. Clear title to the property, perfect. Um, and then the third issue, which is lack of community wealth, um, mm -hmm. not just in the Preston area, but just black communities and indigenous communities and other communities of color, but specifically black and indigenous communities, they find it more difficult than others when it comes to going to their local bank 
to get like funding or financing for like homes, for renovations, to start their businesses, just anything in general. Um, what would you do to kind of attack that and then kind of work with communities so that they don't feel so dejected, if we can use that word, when they're trying to do something and then they feel like they have no support? Not saying that the black, the BBI isn't doing anything. I'm just saying that in general, there's a lot of other avenues, but a lot of communities of color, specifically black and indigenous, it, it feels as if they have to prove more than other communities have to prove when it comes to trying to get that community wealth to then have that generational wealth. Yes. And you know, I, I think that's, that's a, a, a big issue. Um, you know, especially in a lot of the African Nova Scotian and indigenous communities, like you said, um, you know, just for an example, uh, East uh, North Preston, you know, you can't go to, there's no place to go in the community if you need a quart of milk. You have to drive into Dartmouth or West Hall to get milk. Um, you know, we need to look at community economic development and how we can, you know, provide some uh, stores in the community, businesses in the community, um, you know, that will be sufficient um, and that will be sustainable for people um, so that we don't have to drive into the city. You know, we're always taking our money out of the community and nobody's bringing money into the community. So I, I you know, community economic development is a big one for me. Um, and it, you know, even as a, a young kid growing up in the community, we had little corner stores. Um, but you know, those are all gone now. And we, you know, we need to look at how we can provide uh, for people. You know, what about our seniors who need, you know, milk or, or sugar or eggs and, you know, can't, don't have access to get into the city. Um, you know, we need to really look at um, how we can make that happen for them and, you know, to build up the community. There's land in the community that could be used to, um, you know, to build these stores and to, to build these little um, mom and pop shops so that we can leave our money in the community and not always take our money outside. So I, I do think that we do need to look at how we can provide, um, you know, some community economic development and, and you know, to, to really um, impact and to, um, you know, make sure that we, um, um, you know, leave money in the community to build us up. Um, you know, looking at, you know, the, the healthcare system. And I know this isn't one of the, the topics that we've raised, but, you know, we, we do have a, a lot of people in the community, um, you know, are on dialysis. And, you know, there's no reason why there shouldn't be a dialysis unit in the community, you know, to represent the, the, the Preston communities um, so that people don't always have to drive into the city for dialysis. So, you know, those are, those are just some of the, 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 the concerns I have some of the issues I have, you know, we have a, a great uh, community clinic, um, you know, perfect spot for a dialysis unit. Yep. And I know that was a little bit, but... No, 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 I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to say healthcare does play a part in what, you, what we can say as in community wealth and growth, because I mean, if you have people that are not able to work and they're not well, 
and then they can't get like the health and the care that they need and then they have to travel outside of the city where they have like compromised immune systems and everything that too all yeah. plays a part in it it's just not like financial wealth where some people may say mm-hmm. like you know finances are the end all to be all it's also wealth and community wealth can also be coupled with education which is important health care which is important dental care which is important mental health which is important so all that could be coupled in with community wealth yes most definitely yes now um the number four which i think is probably a big one which is violence within the community and then systematic mm-hmm. racism within the justice system um, racial profiling and then police brutality um that's a big one for the community due to everything that's been happening since the murder of George Floyd and how the light has now, it used to be dim, but now it's shining bright on police and policing. And so they're being more scrutinized than they've been in years. Um, A lot of people are saying that defund the police is the way to go. Um, I would say more reform and more education and the history of policing would be a way to go. How would you attack that issue where there's so many proponents out there for defund the police? However, when, mm-hmm. you, when you dissect it, a lot of it is more or less asking for police reform, asking for mental health individuals to be with people when they're being called out for wellness calls. Um, a lot of people are asking for um, officers when they're being trained in a police academy to be taught the true history of policing, which goes all the way back to slavery. And of course can talk about like, even though we're Canada and we're under like the British monarchy in regards to our like infancy. And then, you know, the creation of our country was under those particular laws, but it still all plays a part in regards to the way that indigenous people and black people were policed by the police in comparison to our white counterparts. So how would you attack that issue? You know, I, I agree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I've heard about the defund the police and, and all of that. I'm, I'm still not really clear if I understand what that really means. Um, you know, I, I do believe that we do need um, a police, um, you know, not wanting to live in a police state, but, you know, I, I do believe there is a, a role in for, for policing for safety. But, um, you know, there, there needs to be some reform. There needs to be some change. Um, and, you know, like you said, you know, police doing wellness checks. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's, that's not something that I would, would support, um, you know, um, I, I think we need to, to be very careful when we um, look at um, the justice system and, you know, we need to be, we need to look at reform with the justice system and, you know, the liberal government days before the announcement of, of um, an election, um, you know, provided funding to uh, Nova Scotia uh, decades for people of African descent to create the uh, Nova Scotia Justice Institute. Um, you know, that was something that was put to them two years ago. 
uh, or two and a half years ago, and you know they waited until an election call, um, you know, just days before the election to to announce that. So you know, I, I think it's important that we do have the Justice Institute um, for the Black community, and you know, to just so that we can make sure that people, when they go up against the justice system, are treated fairly and properly. Um, you know, we need to look at systemic racism in the justice institute, uh, in the justice system, not only in justice, but also in education, in healthcare, um, in housing, employment. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, that needs to be addressed in all aspects of society. Um, you know, when we look at police brutality, um, you know, the incident of the young man that um, was tasered on, on Crimple Road, you know, that should have never happened. Um, and, you know, the, the, it, it's traumatic for, for people. Um, you know, racial profiling is another one. Uh, you know, I, I do believe that we need to be very um, strategic and, and there, there needs to be, um, you know, um, there, there is a time when um, you need to stop vehicles, but don't stop a vehicle just because a black person is driving it. And, you know, I, I went over the Wardley report and, and agree with the, the Wardley report, and I think that we need to, to be very careful and diligent with, um, you know, saying totally no, no police, um, no stops. Um, but I think there, you know, sometimes it is warranted, uh, and sometimes it's not. You know, um, there needs to be um, more help for mental health. Um, you know, it's it's an issue within our community that people don't talk about, and um, you know, we the PC platform. PC government has uh, has it as an issue. Uh, universal mental health care. Um, there needs to be more workers in the healthcare system from the communities. Um, and too many of us um, and others, um, you know, have been um, afraid to talk about our mental health issues. Um, you know, it's 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 something that is really um, devastating our community, and we need to to really talk about it. Uh, and we really need to be um, open and upfront. And, you know, there needs to be a, uh, you know, when we talk about mental health treatment, there needs to be a strategy. Um, you know, I, I, there was a couple of years ago when the Health Association of African Canadians met with Janet Knox, who was the um, CEO of the um, Health Authority. And one of the things that came out of that meeting was there needs to be a health strategy for the African Nova Scotian community. And, um, you know, now the Health Association, of, Health Association of African Canadians is working on that health strategy. So, you know, to, to make it more culturally specific and relevant to the African Nova Scotian community. So those, these are all positive things that are, are coming about. And, you know, with um, the positive things coming about, um, I'm just, you know, praying and hoping that our people will be more open to talking about and uh, getting treatment for mental health issues. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. And that all plays a part in it because there's the, the just, there's a massive gulf 
not so much a bridge, but a massive gulf between communities of color and the police, specifically black communities and indigenous communities. Um, there's this gulf where there was some trust, but now with everything, with a megaphone and this huge bright light shining on everything, now there's this distrust. So even when you have police officers that are actually doing their job and actually following the letter of the law, because there are officers that end up getting protected to the 10th degree from the police union and from the top brass on down, what ends up happening is people are losing trust because they find that officers that should be reporting on bad behavior don't have an incentive to do so. Why would you report and talk about an officer that you know is breaking the law when you know that you will be punished, whereas the officer that is breaking the law will have the union, the brass, everyone protecting them through like from the 10th degree. So it's like, it's a double-edged sword for policing as well, because even though you have individuals within the police form itself from the top to the bottom that would like to see more community trust and would like to reach out to the community more, there's more of an incentive, you might as well say, to be a bad actor than there is an incentive to speak up and talk about issues and behavior that tarnishes what it means to be a police officer. So how, how would you reach out to, to, bring the, to bring the communities together, I should say? What, what, would, be, what would you need to do as a plan of action um, if elected to, br- to bridge that gulf to like, so that it's so, not so much of a gulf, it's more or less of like a bridge that's not too hard to um, bring together when talking to communities of color and as I said, specifically, um, black, brown, and indigenous communities. Yeah, you know, it's it's this this is a a, a hard one because, um, you know, there, there was a, a about a year ago a death of a young man in the community um, through gun violence, and uh, you know, we we did a vigil, and um, you know, we did meetings in the community, and. Um, you know, we know what we need in the community. We know what needs to happen in the community, but um, I don't think people are coming forward to, you know, release the information of those who are doing um, the shooting. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that needs to happen because we can't continue to allow or to have our community under hostage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to back the community. Um, it's a beautiful community. Um, and we need to really look at, you know, how can we make our community um, the bright, beautiful community that it is. And, you know, that comes with having people um, you know, not afraid to to come forward with information, um, because we, we we just need to break the cycle, um, and we need to make sure that no other uh, young person loses their life to gun violence. Um, you know, it breaks my heart every time I hear there's been a shooting in the community. Um, you know, I I love my community and. And, you know, not afraid to say that I'm from North Preston. Um, but it hurts. 
every time I hear that there's been a shooting in the community, that someone has died as a result of gun violence. You know, a mother or a father has to lay their child to rest due to gun violence. Um, it's really sad. Yes, yes, and that's, and that's a stigma because um, even to this day, a lot of people think that nothing good comes from the community, but they don't realize there's a lot of success in academia, there's a lot of success in business, there's people working in the criminal justice system, there's people working with the provincial and federal government. Um, you are a testament to someone who is a, a huge proponent of education, always been. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, misrepresentation that tends to happen from those outside the community. Because again, you have like allies who are performative rather than being true. So then a lot of the times, the issues that you fight for it appears as if you're taking five steps back for every one step that you move forward. And then yeah. the community gets misrepresented. Yeah, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then for the last one, which is mass incarceration, um, mm -hmm. which, is another, which is another big one I find. Um, and it tends to affect all communities of color, but again, I find that it tends to affect black, brown, and indigenous communities more. More. Um, yeah. Do you think that has something to do with the fact that um, black, brown, and indigenous communities, specifically young black men, tend to face stiffer punishment than their white counterparts? Like if somebody is Most caught, definitely. yeah, like if yeah. someone's caught with, let's say, I'm not sure what the exact terminology is, but like if someone has like a bag of weed on them, depending on the kilo or the gram or whatever it is, they get more of a stiffer punishment than their white counterpart who would have the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there needs to be some, some um, what word am I looking for? Consistency in, um, you know, just uh, punishments for, for crime. And it doesn't seem to be. Um, and, you know, I, I think there, again, systemic racism and discrimination um, in the justice system. And I think, you know, with the, um, the Justice Institute for the Black Community coming, um, I hope that we will see some change happen around that um, so that we don't see um, a huge number of our folks, um, you know, incarcerated, um, you know, you losing time that they could be out working or being educated um, to contribute to their pension, um, you know, to, to provide for their families, to provide for, um, you know, building up the economy. So, you know, we, we really need to, to be, you know, to look at how we can help our young people, our elders, um, because it's not only young people, it's, it's, it's all in, in just all ages in the community to be, um, you know, to better understand how to stay out of the justice system and how to be um, citizens to provide for themselves and to, to look at, um, you know, alternative ways um, that are positive to, to make the, a living for themselves. So, you know, and, and I, I say to that, education um, is the key. 
Um, education is a starting point. Um, you know, knowing yourself, and once you know better, you do better. So, you know, I, I think it's it's time that you know we as as a government um, and we as a community look at how we can look to provide those supports to um, people so that they don't end up in, in the criminal justice system. Yes, and that's true. And how do you think we should, as a people as a whole, how do you think we should attack the issue such as when, if you have young people that, you know, have made a mistake, not so much an egregious mistake like, you know, committing like a federal crime such as murder or something of that nature. But if you have a young person that just, you know, as I mentioned, using like the using like a bag of weed as an example, if it's just like a minor infraction, it's not so much like a real serious infraction that could really jeopardize their future. How do we work as as a community and as a people so that that young person isn't shamed and that particular minor infraction isn't always thrown in their face? Because like life is a journey. Some people make mistakes that are small. Some people make mistakes that are bigger and there are more harsh and serious consequences. But for stuff that's only minor, like what needs to be done within the criminal just like within the criminal justice system, so that rather than just catching him and locking them up, why not? You know, if you if there is a situation that they have to be arrested and spend time in the correctional facility, why not have a program that's geared towards, as you said, education, um, self improvement, yeah. self confidence, self love? Like what needs to be done in that regard, so that the criminal justice system as a whole doesn't feel like it's drowning and then it's overwhelmed with seeing, let's say, the same individuals perpetuating the same petty crimes or doesn't seem to, like, where nothing seems to sink in type deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even, even going through restorative justice, um, you know, could be an alternative to having a criminal record, um, you know, and spending time in, in prison. You know, if it's a first offense, um, and it's a, not a sick person, so you know, I, th- I think that that is something to be considered. Yes, yes. So, um, just as like a final thought, what do you think needs to be done, like with the communities as a whole? Um, do you think like communities of color? rather than separately fighting issues that when you look at um, the nuts and bolts of it, like they're fighting the same type of issues. What needs to be done? Like, do you think communities of color need to truly band together as one unit to combat some of these issues? Because again, the indigenous community may have a different top five issues that they're dealing with. The Asian community may have a different top five. Um, The Latino community may have a different top five. Like, you know, the Muslim community may have a different top five. Like, you know what I mean? There, there's different communities that may have a different top five. But essentially, mm-hmm. when you look at the nuts and bolts, there are a lot of similarities. And the justice and reform and the wealth, community wealth, health care, even though that may not be in the top five, that still is a very important issue with communities of color. Should communities of color be banding as a united front, as like a rainbow coalition to combat these issues? rather than fighting as separate fractions? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, one of the things um, 
you know, in, in another debate, uh, I, we were asked what was our vision for the writing. Um, and, you know, I said what we need to do is focus on what we have in, in, in common and not always focus on what differences we have. And, you know, I, I would look to um, create um, a, a council where we have representatives from each of the, the communities in the riding come together to develop a vision plan for the riding. And I would say the same thing we should do for, um, you know, people of color who experience and are, are affected by the same issues. We need to come together. Although our different our issues may be the same um, and we attack them from different angles, we need to come together to see how we can unite and collaborate because there's strength in numbers. And, you know, to, to come together to, you know, develop a plan to work on them together um, so that we can, you know, try to solidify um, and to, to make some real serious change um, because we've been working in silos too long and we need to look, see how we can, you know, collaborate and, and come together. So I, I do agree that we need to, to come together. We need to focus a little bit more on our similarities and not always on our differences. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate you taking the time to speak with me because I know that you are extremely busy. Um, you still have a few more days in the campaign, so I know you're in somewhat what would be considered the home stretch, but you still have a few days. No. So I, I do greatly appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Um, thank you very much. And definitely <laughs> blessings and good luck on the campaign trail. And thank I'll you. be keeping watch on the 17th. Okay, and thank you for the invite and, you know, to all of your listeners who are in the Preston writing, um, you know, I'm, I'm soliciting your support um, and hoping that you would vote for me, um, your candidate for MLA for, for the Preston writing, someone who has great integrity, great honesty, um, you know, someone who is a worker, has been a worker for, for the community and will continue to to strive to uh, to work for the betterment of our community and, and of our writing. So uh, to all of your listeners, um, on the 17th, or if you vote early, um, between now and the 17th, um, Archie Beals, your candidate for MLA for the Prestons, who will represent you well, as I've always done in the past. Thank you so much, Kara, and all the best to you. Thank you so much, love. And again, blessings and good luck on the current pain trail. And definitely, thank you very much. And good luck. Thank Great. you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.